and welcome to episode five of Artist Materialist. I'm Susanna. I'm a graphic designer and artist. And I'm Dan, a material scientist. And this morning we are discussing 10 breakfasts from a century ago that no one eats anymore. It's an article from um, Extra Crispy by Kat Kinsman that talks about some interesting changes in breakfast trends over the past hundred years. And this appears to be the blog of the myrecipes.com website. I don't know if there's lots of blogs, but this is one of them. Yes, this is the sort of the breakfast focused blog. And this is one that you found. So I'm, I'm curious how you came across this one. This one just showed up in Apple News. I know I tend to read a lot of food-related news and interesting food-related stories. And so um, this was one of those ones that I think an algorithm suggested for me. And I'm really interested in food history and how food trends have changed over time. I just find that fascinating. So I was drawn to this article. I know I used to read the... Um, blogs about, you know, old weird recipes that no one makes anymore, things like aspics and, uh, you know, jello molds and, and all those uh, slumps and dumps and puddings and things that nobody ever makes anymore. Yes, so, the Gallery of Regrettable Food, right? Or that's is it... the one. Yes, Gallery of Regrettable Foods. I even collect my own uh, weird old cookbooks. I have quite a collection. <laughs> And so I was curious to see what new and interesting and old breakfasts have fallen out of favor and maybe don't even exist anymore. And the first one that they mentioned in the article was definitely a weird one that I never would have occurred to me, the snowflake toast, which is essentially uh, egg whites on top of Zweibach with some, uh, yeah, that's basically it. <laughs> and, and Zweibach, I'm... It's not something that immediately pops to mind what that is. That is something that pretty much only, it's only a baby food nowadays. I mean, at least in my lifetime, it's pretty much only been considered a baby food. It's, it's, a, it's really crumbly uh, processed toast that um, is possible to sort of gum on <laughs> if you don't have any teeth, if you're a baby. And I guess people used to like it because it was sort of crispy. It's like a cracker. Um, hmm. But it doesn't really, it, it's slightly sweet also. I think it's disgusting. I've tried it once. <laughs> well, it sounds like it's directly the opposite uh, direction from everything that's going on in today's food. It's has gluten and it's highly processed. It's baked and then processed more, which, so that sounds exactly like something that you wouldn't find anywhere today. Yes. And uh, the, little bit about snowflake toasts mentioned something called unicorn toast and I had to look that up because I hadn't heard of it and it is just about the polar opposite so the unicorn toast is something um, that an Instagrammer came up with that is uh, you know whole grain bread with cream cheese now not just any cream cheese it's almond milk cream cheese so there's you know no dairy and then it's of course it's whole grain and the cream cheese is dyed, but not with food coloring. It's dyed with beet juice, dried strawberries, dried blueberries, all in turmeric. And then the cream cheese is sort of painted on in an impressionist looking way to make pretty toast. <laughs> Very <All right>. different. <laughs> 
So it's, but it's interesting because, you know, back in the day, Zweibach was considered sort of a health food and what's considered a health food now is, is very different. And I know that you sent me a link to that article about what's healthy and what's not and what people think about what foods are healthy. Right. This, this is a, something that's been going around the past week or two from Grub Street about the, supposedly the last conversation you'll ever need to have about eating right, which is a sort of dialogue, a self-dialogue with Mark Bittman, who's a big figure in the new, modern nutrition movement, along with uh, Dr. David Katz. And, and I passed along that just as sort of a, an additional reference for sort of what's going on now with food, which is pretty different from these 10 forgotten breakfast foods, which I imagine it, it seems like looking at what they ha did is they sort of looked through old menus and they looked through old cookbooks and sort of like what is labeled as a breakfast food that we have no idea what it is. And then let's write about it. So that's, that seems to have been the, way that this article came together so it, it, it's yes. in, really is they were specifically chosen for having been forgotten or being in contrast but to what happens today yeah and and it's interesting a couple of these on here are things that are coming back in style now but maybe not necessarily as breakfast foods for example they mentioned kidneys and i don't know maybe in england they in England, they still do eat more kidneys than we do here in the U.S., but um, that was a very common breakfast food, and um, organ meats are now coming back in style. The whole idea of you want to eat the whole animal, you know, that right. don't waste anything. So um, while organ meats are back in style, they're not necessarily considered a breakfast food anymore. Yes, um, and there, there were two on this list, the kidneys and the brain and eggs. Now, I have to tell you something about brains and eggs. There was a, yes. a truck stop near where I went to college called Pop's Happy Land Truck Stop. It no longer exists, sadly. But on the menu, they did have brain and eggs. Brains and eggs. And that was something that just about every college student <laughs> at my college said that they were going to eat at least once before they graduated. You sort of said, mm -hmm. okay. I'll, I'll get really drunk one night and I'll go and have the brains, <laughs> pork brains with eggs. And a few of my friends did actually eat it. It, it really doesn't look very appetizing, about as appetizing as the picture here. Brains are kind of grayish and squishy. <laughs> mm -hmm. But, you know, uh, it, it, in a small rural truck stop, it was still on the menu, <laughs> even in this century. Well, I guess end of last century before the truck stop shut down. I, I would think that that is very specifically something. I, I'm not sure which brains they are, but I would imagine that Mad Cow kind of killed off a lot of the desire to eat brains. Maybe maybe it's far enough away that it's come back, but I... Yeah. I, well, this was there's been a couple brains. of decades. Traditionally, and it's, as they say in the article... Brains. American okay. South, it's pork brains because, you know, pig uh, in that okay. whole region, pigs are what people eat and, and pork brains. Yeah. I mean, everything is pretty much pork. The word barbecue yeah, well, means pork. <laughs> well, 
Well, that kind of goes to this idea with it goes with the organ meats is is the is, there's the the Western civilization versus Eastern civilization conception of organ meats, where on the one hand you have, uh, I remember reading stories or hearing stories about in a family if there's a fried fish you fight over the eyes because they're rare. You know, oh, I I get to eat the eye. No, I get to eat the eye, and that's a very much um, more on the Eastern tradition of, of if, if it's a something that the animal only has one or two of that makes it more valuable versus more on the Western where the anything that's an organ tends to fall to the commoner's food and that becomes the, the peasant food and you have things like haggis and all sorts of other things where it's the, the less desirable cuts. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that about the eyes. That does explain something. I'm, I was in Japan and there was a, a little girl who was always very excited to eat the eyes out of the fish. And I would let her have the eyes out of my fish because I was like, oh, gosh, no. I tried <laughs> the eyes once and it, I'm not doing that again. <laughs> mm-hmm. But that, that does explain a lot. <laughs> and and so there is this, the that, as far as recipes and things that, that persist, there's the sort of the high recipes and the low recipes and mm-hmm. The brain and eggs that seems to have kind of gone away, but I, I accept at this the one truck stop, and maybe it's coming back a little bit. But certainly, Mexican restaurants, authentic Mexican restaurants, not Tex-Mex restaurants, have had brain stew, you know, menudo for that's always been around. I mean, yeah, I mean, even where I live, which is you know certainly not where you would go to find good Mexican food, but our, our favorite local Mexican restaurant always has menudo on the weekends. Um, and I think uh, maybe that's because it's called menudo. It's doesn't, you know, they don't go into what's in it. When you say brains and eggs on the, or kidneys on the menu, um, you know, Western people tend to get a little squeamish, but if you call it something else, um, a little marketing there, then people are mm. more willing to try it. Same thing with the, the stewed prunes. Um, you know, that's mentioned in this article as something that used to be a very common breakfast um, mm-hmm. food, but just even the word prune sounds kind yeah. of gross to me. And I've noticed that in the grocery store, sometimes they'll be labeled dried plums instead of prunes. Right. Well, I, I think that's the the plum group of America, the the plum growers of America have done their own uh, marketing thing, you know, just like pork, the other white meat. Now it's prunes. They're just dried plums. Yes. <laughs> I think they got such a bad name as, as being an old people food that, you know, if you eat prunes, you must be old and feeble or something. I mean, they're, they're healthy and they're not bad really. I mean, yeah, no, they could be pretty tasty. It, I think again that goes this goes to something that you know a century ago you didn't have refrigeration the same the same degree I mean I guess a century ago probably there was some amount of refrigeration but and cold shipping but a lot more things that had to be shelf stable and then you do something with them subsequently and that's certainly you take dried plums and then you plump them back up again. That's a very much a, an additional processing step that's contrary to 
Nowadays, you'd say, well, I'll just get some fresh, if it's in a restaurant, get fresh plums. And if it's not in a restaurant, get some frozen ones or just do it in season. Yeah. And, and that's kind of the trend away too from um, canned food as a measure, as a way of preserving things. I mean, it's, it's said, you know, stewed prunes, that's again, something that could be canned or jarred or, you know, home canning. And while home canning is still popular, stewed fruits are not maybe as popular as they once were um, because you don't, like you said, you don't need to preserve fruits that way, at least not all fruits. Some like, like apricots, you really, you have to kind of eat, they're so delicate, you have to either dry them or um, maybe, you know, cook them, can them, um, or eat them right near where they're grown. But most fruits, you can ship them nowadays. And so what were some of the other ones on there? I know that one I thought was interesting was the barley duck. Am I saying that right? Barley duck jam, which are. That, yeah, that, that one seemed very ripe for a comeback. If, if somebody can figure out the mechanization. That's exactly what I was thinking. This is, um, these are seeded currants that apparently back in uh, the days of Mary Queen of Scots, they used goose quills to seed currants, which, you know, they're, they're teeny tiny little fruits. And then they would um, make a jam out of them so that they were sort of like the bubble tea of the 19th century. Um, and yeah, it's, it's labor intensive to seed currants with goose quills, but yeah, there's got to be some way with uh, modern technology to, to do that. I mean, we can create so many other weird foods. We can make macaroni in the shape of just about every cartoon character that exists there's got to be a way to seed currants <laughs> i I'm, I'm, i just sort of envision this uh, somebody who has grand ambitions about how much of this they'll sell and setting up some sort of robotic line with uh, machine vision and little stabby things that stab <laughs> out the I think even even automated, it would probably be very expensive still, unless there is some. Uh, oh, but that's part of the lure, made. right? <laughs> of course. Yes, yeah, so if it's expensive and rare, then more people are going to want it. <laughs> and I've actually, have you ever tried to seed cherries with a um, chopstick? That's a really good way to, if you have to pop the seeds out of a lot of cherries then huh. um, a chopstick works really well. They have special, you know, cherry seeding devices, mm -hmm. but if you're not concerned about the cherries staying, you know, pretty afterwards, because you're going to use them for something else, it's very efficient. Hmm. I've, I've not tried that. <laughs> so one of the things mentioned here, are the various kinds of cereals, there's something called cerealine, which is one of the first um, breakfast cereals, flaked corn. Um, and at this time, about a hundred years ago, when, was when breakfast cereals were invented, they started to become popular and, um, obviously Kellogg was one of the big names in breakfast cereals. Um, but the one that was created in Indiana that um, I guess no longer exists is, is called cerealine that was basically squashed corn. 
Yeah, and it, it makes sense that 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 did not persist as much because it it seems based on it simply being squashed corn. Maybe it's not as as stable. Uh, probably much more susceptible to mold or insects mm-hmm. or anything else. What's interesting is they talk a little bit in the article about some of the marketing that's used on this ancient cereal, I guess not ancient, this old cereal, um, that's supposed to make people want to eat it. And it describes it as uh, containing by exactest chemical analysis, more (laughs) nourishment than any other preparation of cereals and talking about how it's more digestible and, Mm -hmm. you know, things that's something that was really appealing back then saying how digestible something was. And, um, also, the idea that it was mechanized was appealing, whereas we're mm-hmm. moving away from processed foods now. The idea is that processed foods are really not that good for you. Back then, that was what was new and scientific and exciting was something that had been created. It's machine-created foods, not just this mm-hmm. old <laughs> stuff that came out of the ground like your grandfather had. Well, there's there's sort of a, a divergence, though, right? So you have, on the one hand, you have the the sort of the Mark Bittman, you know, have, have, and uh, Michael Pollan, you know, mm-hmm. eat as eat whole foods, unprocessed, as close to the original thing as you, you can possibly get. And on the, the other hand, you have the sort of the Silicon Valley approach to food where you have the Soylent and Juicero and all these very much, you know, we're just going to give you a really precisely you know exact exactest chemical composition so there there is that strain still exists and it's still around yeah and and at this point i think it comes down to you know personal preference i i have read some articles by bodybuilders who you know want to take they're very conscious about exacting nutrition and exactly what they put into their bodies because that's their hobby and they want precise number of certain kinds of um, nutrients. And so they would much rather have a shake or even a pill or just some item they can consume. It doesn't matter what it tastes like. It just needs to be precise so they don't have to worry about all this messy food stuff. Well, especially for a bodybuilder, they have to, they have to, they have to stuff more protein into their body than it naturally wants to have. And anything that's even the slightest takes even the slightest bit of digestion reduces the amount of muscle that they can pack on. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I can understand how, you know, eating five chicken breasts is a lot less appealing than drinking, you know, a couple of protein shakes, but it, it seems to, to be take the enjoyment out of food. I, did try a bodybuilder diet at one point for a few months and it at the end of it I was just tired of eating what felt like to me fake food because everything mm-hmm. was so carefully measured in terms of its protein and its carbohydrates and its fat and it I just wanted to eat something real and not care what was in it you know yeah that there's the the enjoyment of food and these no longer popular breakfast foods. I'm not sure that any of them, other than maybe the uh, eggs Rossini at the end, I'm not sure how many of them really called to me. Maybe the, 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 the prunes maybe, but 
the uh, eggs Rossini at the end, or even more so that the other thing that it talks about the tornadoes Rossini, that sounds pretty interesting. Oh yeah. And this is the, the very fancy, um, fancy eggs with, uh, where's the thing where it talks about the, uh, it has what foie gras, filet mignon, demi-glace, truffles, and Madeira. That's the tornadoes Rossini. And yes, that, that sounds really good. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I were going to try something, I really do want to try the uh, Barley Duke jam. That sounds good. Yeah. That, that, if that, that would be something great to, to come across where I can imagine coming across that at a, some sort of fancy store and they have little samples and you, you try it and you think for a second and then you see that the jar costs $40 and then well, maybe not. And one we didn't touch on yet was the frumenti, which sounds basically like, I mean, steel cut oats. I mean, it's it's probably not exactly the same, but it's basically just, um, it's wheat instead of oats, and it's soaked for overnight and then uh, cooked slowly, which mm-hmm. is similarly to how you would cook um you know, steel cut oats, except that it's wheat. And then they would add, um, you know, currants and milk and things like that to it and make a sort of an oatmeal type dish. And apparently that is coming back into style in a fancy London restaurant, but they're serving it as a dinner food with um, more like polenta. Right. With all these, all these fancy things. That makes me think a little bit of, of overnight oats, which is very popular right now, and you can get it at fancy coffee shops and things like that. Is that what's overnight oats? There's recipes for it all over the place. where you don't, instead of cooking oats, you just soak them in milk overnight. And Ooh. that serves as the alternative to cooking them. That's interesting. I've, Often wanted to try, but never got around to it. Alton Brown's steel cut oats recipe, which it uses, um, it, it's the same idea. It is overnight, but you use a slow cooker instead of um, instead of just soaking them. So you put your your oats and your cream and and your currants or whatever else you want to add to it, your dried cherries into your slow cooker and turn it on low. And when you wake up in the morning, voila, you have fancy oatmeal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not a bad idea, but I'm just not the kind of person, I guess, who can prepare ahead that much for a regular breakfast, maybe for a special occasion. Right. Well, I I think that, so the, the put it in a mason jar and in your fridge seems a little bit more doable. (laughs) Uh, Well, of course, because everything's in a mason jar nowadays, right? (laughs) Yes, yes. In the mason jar, just, and maybe if it stays an extra day, it's probably still fine. That, that helps. I might actually try that. I actually, and I do want to try the unicorn toast too, because that looks really good, but I would probably use regular cream cheese mm-hmm. instead of um, almond milk cream cheese, which sounds a little odd. The, the nut cheeses, I know there's no intrinsic reason why they should be that different, but it's, that's a, a, a step that I'm in, disinclined to take for the most part. Yeah, nothing against them personally. I just, I like the flavor of regular cream cheese and mm-hmm. I don't really have any reason not to eat it personally. So, 
And and breakfast seems to have changed, you know, there, there, I've, a lot in the last, well, it seems like every couple decades, breakfast changes a lot. I mean, you go back and we had the cream of wheat and oatmeal and or eggs and bacon of, you know, maybe the 50s. And then, you know, go back to the 80s and everybody was having granola and cereal. The 90s, every, bagels came in, maybe 80s, 90s bagels. And now bagels have just about disappeared because nobody wants to eat carbs anymore and people are having avocado toast for breakfast. It's it's kind of changed. Yeah, well, there's that whole, there's so many articles that have been written about how bemoaning how millennials don't eat cereal because it takes too much time. I don't know if it's the time. I, I always got the impression that millennials ate a lot of cereal, but it's a snack. You know, it's a late night snack when you're gaming mm -hmm. and you have a box of Fruit Loops that you eat without milk, right? <laughs> I mean, what college kid doesn't know that? <laughs> I mean... I think, I think the idea is that that you need you need a whole set you need a bowl and a spoon something ah, to make it wet that's just too much i see too much assembly too much instead. assembly too much bother and instead just throw you know just have a bar or yeah, yeah. some sort of single item that that you just eat as a, as an item Okay, you, I can see that. Everything is in a smoothie, one, one or the other. That's true. Smoothies are a thing that has come up being a very popular breakfast food that was not something I grew up with at all. Although, um, I don't know if you remember, but mom used to make me a, uh, what she called an eggnog for breakfast when I was running late for school. And it was basically just milk and a little vanilla and a raw egg in a blender. Huh. Oh, I, <laughs> no sugar, just milk, raw egg, and a little vanilla. I loved it. I thought it was great. And it's that's actually probably fairly healthy. It's a lot of protein. Mm -hmm. But now we frown on feeding our kids raw eggs. <laughs> although although eggs themselves, that, that has really maintained and that they've really never gone away. And there, I don't know if you've you, you may not see as many TV ads as I do, but there's the the just crack an egg. I have not seen that. No. So it's it's a, a it's like a little packet, I, probably refrigerated, and the idea is that you microwave it and you you add an egg to it. You crack an egg into the little container that has potatoes and vegetables, and then you put it in its little container in the microwave, and then it cooks it into sort of a, a frittata. Ooh, that, that sounds really interesting. I, I'm going to have to look for that at the grocery store just to see how it's put together. Yeah, but I, it's, it, it seems like a lot of, I can see the, the thought behind it from an entrepreneur's point of view of, oh, this, this is a really you know, great high margin thing and it'll seem really cheap compared to some of the other things. But on the other hand, it's probably $2 for 15 cents of, of vegetables. Here's some that reminds me of something I, I read about in a food history when they were creating um, boxed cake mixes for the first time. Um, the women they were testing them on liked them better when they had to add an egg themselves. When they oh, yeah. used powdered egg, 
it didn't seem as wholesome and they felt like they were making the cake themselves if they had to add at least one egg to it. And so this is a sort of same idea, I guess, you know, you could use powdered instant eggs that you just add water to, but it seems more wholesome if you, like you said, just add a whole egg to it. I imagine the, the texture is probably a little different too. <laughs> <laughs> probably. I know that. They, they yeah. covered a, a whole thing about that in a very recent episode of, of the podcast Gastropod, which is entirely about food. Ooh, that sounds and, good. <laughs> and they had a, a history of military food and the quest to make eggs that were palatable, which is... <laughs> Military ready eggs are apparently very difficult. I can see that. I mean, considering the constraints given to food that you have to carry in a backpack into the middle of nowhere, that would be difficult. I know for a while in the um, late 80s, early 90s, people thought that eggs were bad because they had cholesterol in them. And so there were all these fake egg products that came out, the egg beaters, the, you know, it's not real eggs, but it's seems like eggs and uh, those were popular for a while until it was determined that eggs weren't really the source of bad cholesterol. It was um, other stuff and lack of exercise. <laughs> well, I think we have had a really interesting discussion about breakfast food this morning. Yep. Thank, thank you for joining us on Artist Materialist and you can find us at anchor fm slash artist materialist or wherever you get your podcasts.